Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Bucks, Bulls, and Bows podcast. I'm your host, Rod White. It's the morning of October 25th. It's wet and windy out there. This is, a, a in my opinion, actually a day where a guy should be out there, but uh, I'm not. And uh, although I wish I was somewhat, I am kind of feel kind of comfy being in this little camper that I'm in with a little bit of heat. <laughs> actually, I just wanted to get ahead of the podcast series, and I've got some gear changes that I'm making, um, as I do every year, shifting from... From Western gear to whitetail gear is always a giant headache for me because some of those pieces I use um, in both of those types of hunts. And so um, I forget stuff that I need at the stand um, <laughs> and, and some things aren't operating the way they should be. So I definitely just uh, just got to dial some things back a little bit and uh, get all that customized again and get it working for me again the way I'd like to. I like to get to my stand or to my tree and climb up it um, and be up and sitting in it within you know under 10 minutes for sure and uh, be positioned ready to hunt and right now uh, I just got a lot of little complicated things going on with my gear that I'm just uh, fixing up here and uh, getting dialed in lots of hockey tape has to go on a couple items that I've got that are that are new to this year that I wasn't using before and um, those kind of little things that just need um, need attention to detail and, and you don't really realize it until you actually go to climb a tree and realize oh boy this thing's making a little bit of noise or this thing's squeaking a little bit or I forgot this or I forgot that so Anyhow, taking care of that stuff this morning. Welcome to the 30 Days of, of Rut podcast series. I'm your host, Rod White. Um, if you've never been through uh, this podcast series before, uh, I would encourage you to um, share this up with your friends and family, those of you that bow hunt. Um, this is primarily directed towards you, although gun hunters could use this information too. But um, there, this is a pretty cool series. If you've never listened to it before, basically I'm going to walk you through each um, phase or period of the rut that we're going through, and then add in layers of influence that's going to possibly, more than likely, help you tag out on a mature buck, um, if that's your goal. If um, you're hunting public land, what what I what I go through um, really applies to that because it's what mostly what I'm hunting, but I'm also hunting some private land here and there, um, not very often, but it's mostly public. Um, so I'm dealing with a lot of hunter pressure. That uh, We'll talk about that as that increases as the time goes on. Um, We'll also talk a lot about the weather because that is the number one factor, in my opinion, to determining deer movement in your specific area or in, in all areas in general. Um, most things will be focused here on where I am in south, uh, southern Iowa and across the southeast Iowa and a little bit northeast Iowa. Um, because I am bouncing around public grounds all the time, I'm constantly looking for a specific age, age structure on some of those pieces. And so that's why I'm, I'm checking some of those places out. And some places I hunt completely randomly without any kind of information at all about what may or may not be there and having never set foot on them. It just depends on how my season's going. I do set out some cameras. Um, I've been deploying those here for the past few days. I've got one more place I'd like to get some cameras out. Outside of that, um, most of, of what I'm hunting is is just mature bucks. Um, and, and the reason I do that is because I don't have control of these areas like I did when I was managing tens of thousands of acres. When you manage property and you can control the access to that from other people, um, that's a very different animal. Although these principles are, for the most part, are going to remain the same. You just have some luxuries as a private landowner or private land controller than what you, well, than what you don't have whenever you're hunting a lot of public lands or private lands that are hunted by a lot of other people. Which the private land I hunt, honestly, the ones that I have some access to. Uh, but there's a lot of other people that hunt that stuff. In fact, I would argue maybe it gets more pressure than what some of the public land pieces get <laughs> that I hunt. So um, know that I'm dealing with uh, human pressure. I'm dealing with weather just like everybody else. 
And um, so those are some major factors. If you are a private land hunter and you manage and, and control your own land, obviously you already know that you're hunting deer that are pressured in a much different fashion than, than the public land stuff. And so if you've got some deer patterned, obviously now is a phenomenal time of the year um, for you guys to capitalize. In fact, you only have a f probably, in my opinion, you have about until November right about November 6th or maybe 7th-ish to capitalize on the deer that you have on cameras now. Um, just a word to the wise and tons of experience over the years managing a lot of land. Um, you better get it done by November 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th on any specific deer. After that, who knows what you're going to encounter. There'll be deer that are starting to increase the range uh, dramatically. And I'll walk through all of these throughout these phases of the rut that we go through. So, um, if you've, if you've just never been a listener before, keep in mind that, um, some of these things happen are geographically based in the area of Southern Iowa over to Eastern, Northeastern Iowa. If you're up North in Wisconsin and Minnesota, um, most of the time, the stuff that I talk about has, has probably already happened to you a day or two behind. Um, if you're down in, uh, Southeast, uh, portion of the United States or out East, um, with whitetails that have a pronounced rut, like we do here in the Midwest, you're going to have to just adjust that advice um according to kind of where you're at if that makes sense i hope that makes sense but for the most part what i'm talking about is um directly impactful to areas of northern missouri um i would say uh, illinois um, southern wisconsin um indiana over into ohio for sure um western pennsylvania at least uh, i haven't hunted much further east and north of there so i i hesitate to give much advice up in that area but i would imagine you're going to be pretty much in the same kind of scenarios that we are here as far as um, phases of the rut. If you're down uh, south and you have uh, a rut that's long and drug out, or maybe yours is you know a month or two from now, whatever the case may be, I've been down there hunting whitetails before, and you definitely have some different circumstances. So um, I don't want to say I keep, what, what the info information I give out on these podcasts are not helpful, because I think a lot of it is. It's just the timing may be drastically different. So whew, after I've covered all that, <laughs> I'm going to dive into um, what what I'm going to talk about today, which is equipment and gear. And I just want to get this out of the way. And because I'll get a lot of uh, direct messages throughout the season that people will be asking different types of things that I'm using. And so just know that when the gear that I'm going to cover now is probably what I'll run throughout the entire season. If I make a change, I'll let you know. But for the most part, um, you know, I've picked the things that work best for me for the most part. I'd like to see some changes in my gear. Unfortunately, when it comes to things like sticks, for example, um, those are usually something that has to be ordered well in advance. And if you don't have, if you don't have what you want now, you're probably not going to get it until the rut's passed. And so every year, I say I'm going to do that in the springtime um, or wintertime, and I just flat out never do. So I'm going to go through some of those things and, and make some suggestions and some changes that I would make if I had the ability to. Um, but for the most part, right now, you got you get what you got, and that's what you're going to have to work with. <laughs> probably so um i will tell you if, if you are looking for things like sticks or like saddles or stands or whatever you might be able to find some in some facebook groups a lot of people overlook that but oftentimes people are upgrading their equipment they're getting their new stuff and there is some stuff that becomes available that's used that's quite frankly in great condition most of the time um if you have an honest seller obviously and uh that's that's a good way to go too and in fact i maybe even would encourage some of that instead of diving deep um, if, uh, financials are a little bit of an issue for you. So, um, but yeah, we're going to talk about gear today. And as many of you know, um, this podcast series, I do these po podcasts almost daily. I can't guarantee those daily. I do. I can tell you that from November 3rd through 7th, um, as many of you know, I do, uh, health coaching now is, is primarily what I do. I help people lose weight and get their health back under control. 
And as a result, there is some training that's happening November 3rd through 7th that I will not um, probably be podcasting. If I do, it'll be from Cancun, Mexico. So <laughs> no, I'm not actually in a tree with you, but I'll be thinking about you because um, I would rather be here than it would be down there, to be honest with you, other than I really enjoy helping people out. And when I can help people out with their health, that's a huge, huge thing to me. Um, brings a brings a lot of joy to my life and um, yeah, fulfills um a big hole for me in my life is when I can help other people with all kinds of things, but especially when it comes to their health, because somebody helped me. So if you're interested in something like that, shoot me a, a direct message, um, on any of my Facebook, uh, or Instagram stuff out there. And, uh, I'd be happy to help. We'll set up a time to, to talk about your specific situation and help you reach your goals like somebody else did for me. So, um, equipment, let's get right to that. Um, so how this is, um, how, how it kind of laid this out is I just, I just laid out a spreadsheet of all the stuff I have and some of the stuff I'm actually directly looking at. But um, these are the things that I use. Again, um, you know, <laughs> there, there are so many different products and brands out there of stuff. I'm not brand specific. This this podcast is not sponsored directly by anybody. Nobody's paying me to say these things. It's just what I found works really well for me. In the stands and saddle category, um, I'm still running, and I'd love to get a Lone Wolf custom gear, um, one of those newer uh hang on stands that are like 0.5 and one pound or sorry they call it a 0.5 and a 1.0 I believe it is I want to say one's like about five pounds and the other one's like seven or something I'd love to move into one of those it's just um again in the springtime man I just when I should be ordering that stuff I'm not thinking about it because I've got other things I'm doing and I, I don't think about it until I get to this time of the year I so wish that uh, companies would keep things in stock a lot more because every year they run out and you would think that somebody somewhere is forecasting something to make sure they have things in stock for this time of year, but apparently they don't. So, um, yeah, they're tough to get a hold of. But the the stands that I'm, I'm using that right now is that Lone Wolf Alpha 2, I think it's called. It's a it's It was the lightest, smallest um, stand that Lone Wolf itself make. Um, just to be clear, there's two different companies there, Lone Wolf and Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Um, and Lone Wolf is, is, was the maker of that, uh, maybe it's called an assault too, um, that, I, that I run. It's a, it's a small compact stand. I usually only use that during the rut anymore. Um, and it's, it's only because if I'm going to be sitting somewhere, I'm going to be sitting all day and I know 100% the stand I'm going to be on given the certain wind situation. And that brings me to why I choose a saddle 99% of the time over a stand. The only in my personal opinion, the only disadvantage I have with a saddle is um, a little bit of discomfort if I'm going to be in there all day long. And maybe that has to do with the saddle I'm running. I don't really know. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get blasted with a bunch of suggestions on, on saddles. Um, and I, I wouldn't mind trying something else. But what I'm running right now is a Arrow Hunter Kestrel Flex. Um, I, I did modify it slightly. Not a whole lot, though. Actually, it's pretty pretty much how I got it. Um, the only difference is it had some metal buckles on it and that, that was a little frustrating, um, as far as noise goes. Occasionally those would click and twang and metal sounds, as, as many of you know, carry long ways in the timber. And especially at this time of the year, we may be hunting bucks that, um, honestly may be within a couple hundred yards of us when we set up, maybe even already bedded. We don't, we don't really know in the mornings, for example, climb your stand, they get up an hour or two after light and start moving around. Um, you know, if you're, they're within a couple hundred yards you and you got a couple buckles banging around or you've got some metal clanging from your steps or your sticks clicking together, um, that could ruin your hunt before it even starts. So um, I hockey tape absolutely everything. Um, I've done my best to quiet down those metal buckles with some hockey tape, but um, sometimes, too, I, uh, I get a little bit frustrated with that in season, especially when it's a little colder outside. Sometimes that stuff wants to kind of stick. And so um, 
I've taken the tape off too, and then I run the risk of that clanging. So I would like to find a saddle somewhere um, that doesn't have so much metal on it, I guess you would say. The other thing that I've got on my saddle that I've changed are the lines, and I guess that's where the customization really would come into, is um, the tether that, or not the tether, excuse me, the bridge, which is the part that connects from the saddle to the tether, which is a rope that runs through the tree. Um, that I'm running a standard, what it came with. It's like a cotton looking kind of a rope. I'm not sure that that's the material, but um, it's kind of like a cotton looking rope. Actually, it might be cotton. Um, but it also has uh, a pressing knot on that. And that I, I keep on there. I, I haven't changed that. But the line that runs, the tether that runs to my tree, I've actually taken um, some muddy rope that's a safety rope that they have that you hang from a tree to climb up and down your stand. I took one of those and cut it up into um, uh, pieces so that I've got that tethers made out of that. And then instead of using a press it knot on that, I use, um, they're called Rope Man 2, or Rope Man 1s. I believe they're um, classified as ascenders in the mountain climbing world. Um, they're like a little metal clasp um, that has a gear looking thing that is what actually puts pressure against the rope and keeps it from um, sliding out of that harness. Kind of, it serves as the function of a pressing knot. So you could look those up. You can buy them on Amazon, usually um, fairly easy. There's usually lots of pe pe places that have those in stock. Um, there is a Rope Man 1 and a Rope Man 2, and I would tell you to get, I believe it's Rope Man 1, the original one, where the teeth are really big on it. The other one um, is for a different size rope, and it has a lot of small teeth on it. And if um, depending on the type of tether rope that you're using um, that can well for one if you get a bunch of ice buildup in there I've seen where that I've gotten enough ice buildup in there to where the teeth aren't engaging in the rope because they're really tiny teeth and then the other part problem with that um, is that it will tear the living daylights out of your rope so get the one with the bigger teeth I believe it's the rope man one um, instead of using the pressing knot on that and the only reason I do that is because once it's you know you hit those weather conditions where you're doing freezing rain snow crappy kind of stuff um, when your hands are really cold and that knot, pressing knot kind of freezes, um, or it's just full of water, sometimes it's hard to move. And if I need to move quickly because a deer's approaching and I'm, I'm spinning around so I can shoot my four or five clock position, I need to lengthen that rope quickly with one hand. Um, it can be kind of a pain if it's a pressing knot compared to that rope man ascender. So that's an easy one handed operation. And the pressing knot should be too under normal weather conditions, but sometimes it's not. So anyways, that's the only real adjustments I make to the saddle. Um, if you've never saddle hunted before, I would highly encourage you to uh, get into that. The reason why is because of my versatility that I have with that saddle. And I know you guys hear me promoting this all the time. Again, nobody pays me to do these podcasts. Nobody pays me. Um, this is just uh, things that I've done that are working for me that I feel like would help you too if you could give them an honest shot. So with the saddle hunting, um, you're running a lot lighter gear in your backpack than you have with a stand for the most part. Um, of course, depending on what you select, that, that may not be true, but for me, I'm super ultra light in, in what I've got for my stand and my, and my, or for my sticks and my saddle. Um, so y yeah, you can definitely run some lighter stuff, but I carry a lot of stuff to the tree with me and it's, uh, it seems like an extreme amount, but I don't carry a camera. I film everything with my iPhone. <laughs> so at least I don't have my camera arm in there and that kind of stuff, but, uh, lightening that load anywhere I can is, is pretty valuable to me. But with a saddle, the thing that you can do with it that in my opinion that you can do you can't do with a regular stand is you've got to have at least a, a fairly straight section um to hang a, a regular stand on and that limits you drastically on the number of trees that you can be in with a saddle i can get in virtually any tree it absolutely does not have to be straight within reason and because of that um i can hunt more by zone than what i can by specific tree and what i mean by that is there are areas on public lands and on private lands that i hunt 
um, where when I find a spot that I really like, in a lot of cases, there are no tree, there is no tree to hang a stand in. And to be quite frank, on public lands in some areas, that's why there are no tree stands. Um, some of the public lands I hunt are littered with tree stands. Like, it's incredible how many tree stands are up there. People just leave them there from year to year. Um, and some of them never, I'm sure, never even get hunted. They've just been left there over the years. But y- y- there are certainly pockets where there are no stands and nobody hunts because I think they can't find a tree to get in. With a saddle, I can get in a very small tree, a very crooked tree, um, that I can't get into with a regular stand. And so I can hunt areas and specific spots that other people can't. The other big advantage with a saddle is if I'm going to an area and I have a general direction of where I believe deer are going to be traveling through, I can hunt that virtually in almost any wind in most situations. Meaning, if I go into an area, and let's say there's a travel corridor running east and west, and I get there and there's a north wind instead of a south wind, or I, where if I had to hang a stand, I'm locked into wherever that stand is hung at, or I'm locked into that one tree that's available for that stand that may only allow me to hunt something on a south wind, but with a saddle, I could jump in on another tree on the other side of that area, or the other side of that zone, and still shoot all those same areas that I want to be able to shoot. And that's what saddle hunting does for me. Primarily, that is the biggest advantage that I can see with it. I'm not going to say I don't consider the win, because certainly there are situations where you, there is just no other option other than only hunt that with a north wind, for example. Like, let's just say that uh, with a north wind, you've got a bedding area that's um, positioned northwest of a feeding area. Obviously, um, there's not really a whole lot of ways around that most of the time. Um, there may be, but most of the time there's not, for example. Um, so this just gives me the flexibility to, in, in, in the majority of situations, hunt wherever I want to hunt without much thought of where the wind is. The other thing I'll tell you, too, when you're hunting public ground a lot, um, especially new public grounds you've never been in on before, and you've got an area of the map that you want to go to, say you want to sit in a saddle or something like that, you may have a north wind, and you get there and find out you have an east wind or you have a southwest wind just because of the terrain, um, especially if you're hunting up north like in Wisconsin or areas where there's a lot of, of terrain funnels that are, that are going to where, – where not only the wind direction itself comes into play but where thermals come into play too. So I love having that ability, um, and that's just something I have with that that I don't have with a regular hang-on stand. Just my personal opinion, um, and it's why I hunt like that. Now, I do use a regular hang-on stand if I'm hunting all-day scenarios, um, for sure, and there's places that I know I can go into. So I just keep two separate setups with two separate bags ready to go all the time. The only thing I have to do is move my sticks from one side to the other and then move my contents um, that I need, like my binoculars, my optics, obviously, that kind of stuff. will switch from, stand, uh, from setup to setup, but basically... I can just quickly move from one to the other um, for any situation that I may be encountering. Um, the sticks that I'm using, I'm, I'm not super thrilled with these, although I did talk to the gentleman that owns the company, and he was so kind to say, you know what, if you, if you really can't handle those, I can get you some um, where the steps are fused to the stick. And the ones that I'm using, so it's been a good company to work with, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and I bought mine um, 100%, so I didn't get any discount or nothing like that, but I just saw the guy at the Deer Classic. I'm like, hey, I really like the sticks. I mean, they work well. Um, I got the compact foldable version, foldable version of the out on the limb sticks. Um, they're the 20 inch models. Uh, I use the webbing rope um, rather than the rope rope itself. Um, but I use the webbing. I, I, I like them. They're about a pound and a half each. Um, the only issue I've had with them is that where, because they're the foldable ones, the steps, you can actually unscrew the thumb screw and the step spins around onto the stick to make it flat and compact for for packing but I found that I leave mine basically deployed all the time anyway so I stack them on my pack well I mean the stackability thing isn't really an advantage for me now and then the other thing is that 
where those and, and I'm sure he's improved these, but where those sticks mount to or where the step hardware mounts to the stick, there's a little bit of play in there. And no, it's obviously it's 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 completely safe, obviously, but it's just I don't know, a little annoyance thing that I have that step moves a little bit and kinda kinda freaks me out a little bit. So I would like to have a solid one piece thing. So I'm either gonna move to those or I might move to some of the Lone Wolf custom gear sticks. I, I don't really know. Um, the issue or the frustration with this time of year is being able to get that stuff obviously on demand. Most of these companies um, just don't make enough stock to get them through the hunting season. And when you get to the hunting season, by the time they ship your stuff, the, the rut's going to be over. <laughs> and that's, as a consumer, that's partly my fault because um, I just don't get the stuff in the springtime like I should. But I just don't think about it till well, till now when I'm actually using things. <laughs> I did add two um, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Uh, these are... Um, Oh my gosh, I can't think of the name thing. They're like extensions, uh, cable, cable laters. Um, I did add two of those to two of my sticks. Um, I use those on the bottom two sticks. It gets me an extra, I don't know, I'm guessing this is an extra four to six feet or so, maybe, um, by using those. So I do. I did add those to there, and those have been extremely effective. Um, you could probably even get away with just three sticks, but I always carry four. Because, again, I don't know exactly all the time the situation I'm going to be in and how many sticks I need. I just take them all. If I got an extra stick, I'm, I just hang it on the tree. Um alongside me or, or i'll use it as a hanger to hang um, a bunch of stuff off of my my pack and stuff my pack itself i usually just use a strap to go around the tree but i could use that for an example if i needed to if i have an extra stick so anyhow i just carry them with me they're a pound and a half each they're no big deal um my uh my platform that i use i don't know if i've gone over this or not yet but it's a lone wolf cust uh sorry a lone wolf Assault 2, I believe it is. Um, it's a little, it's a, the smallest, lightest one that they've made at Lone Wolf, I believe. Um, it's several years old. I've been using it for a very long time. Um, and when I use that, I'm using those for all day sits. Um, but again, you got to find, you know, the right kind of tree. And there's some flexibility with that stand. There's not with some, but still. Um, so that's, that's when I do sit in a, in a platform. That's what I'm, what I'm using. The pack I'm running, um, that works really well with my setup, especially with the saddle setup is uh um what is that one called um oh my gosh it's a not an antero let me look that up here real quick it is a uh, shape charge and the, the cool thing about the shape charge is it has a handle on the top and on the bottom the one that's on the top that goes across the lid uh is really slick because you can take most platforms that have that kind of t on the stick of the platform if that makes sense um, I just, I slide it up through that handle and it can hang on that. And I don't have to worry about that falling off of there at all. Like it's not going to come out. So when I get to the base of my tree, I take my sticks off. Um, I, you know, obviously get my bow rope out and I connect to my bow rope and I start to climb. My sticks actually go on two, three, I, think I, I think I just have two of them on there. Um, little, uh, pieces of parachute cord that I just made a loop on that I can slide the stick the brackets for the sticks go up, up, under, and through so that I can easily pull them out one-handed as I'm climbing. Um, the first two, obviously, are easy. I can get those from the ground. While I get the first one on the ground, the next one I usually step up on. I put that one up, and then um, I attach myself to the tree and go on up after that. Um, and as I move up there, obviously, I just pull those out, stick them on the tree as I climb. Um, but that that platform can sit underneath that handle. And if you if you look up what a shape charge is, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It sits up underneath it that handle and, and just hangs on there by the weight and it keeps it from falling out and by the time i get to the top rung then i have actually i use a lone wolf uh, the bracket uh strap if that makes sense for 
my um, assault. I put that around the tree and it has a little hook on it and I hang my pack off of that. And then I can just reach up and grab that platform, put it on the tree, um, go ahead and get in a position and then pull my bow up and I'm hunting. Um, it's that simple. Uh, that's all that I use. And then for my bow, obviously, like I've got another one of those lone wolf straps and a little tether kind of thing to it. I can hang it off of that. So, um, and if I'm hunting private ground, I use it. There's a little hawk. Um, hawk makes a little short six or seven inch extendable um, bow hook that I'll use. I screw into a tree. Um, some public lands, actually, I, I don't think that it matters whether you use a screw in step or not. But um, that's generally why they have that anti screw in thing going in there. Uh, they don't want want screws left in those steps in the event that someday they, obviously they one it could kill the tree in theory um and two i think uh if they ever harvest any of those trees obviously screwing steps growing into the tree are kind of a bad deal and people tend to leave them in the trees which i don't know take your stuff out with you whenever you leave <laughs> what else i got for equipment um optics so i'm running the swarovski and l pure 10s uh, i picked it up this year for uh for Western hunting, I really vacillated back and forth between the tw 10s and the 12s, but I wound up going with the 10s, and uh, mostly because I, I just, man, it seems like um, for a lot of the elk hunting stuff I do, I'm more concerned about what I'm seeing 100 yards in front of me than what I am a half a mile or a mile or two miles in front of me, so um, they seem to work pretty good for me for that, and obviously from a whitetail perspective, um, they're about perfect. Some people say they run with 8s. Um, that's cool too, but I like the Swarovski NL Pures compared to other ones I've put side-by-side -side in stores. Um, and I can just, uh, it, maybe it's just the way my eyes are, but it sure seems like, um, in dimmer environments, I can see better with the Swarovskis. And obviously, um, that's a, a major priority when you're whitetail hunting, um, especially from a tree. So I'd like to have that extra light gathering ability if at all possible. Obviously, um, when you're hunting, uh, when it comes to optics for whitetails, I would say you don't need the best of the best, but it doesn't hurt, might help kind of thing. So. Um, if you need to shave some money on those, um, one of the things that I would I would suggest I've used in the past, uh, I had a pair of Nikons that worked really well um, that had a rangefinder built into them. Those are a good option. Um, nothing wrong with those. For the most part, whitetail hunting, you're only going to be shooting probably anywhere up to uh, 30 or 40 yards at most. Um, beyond that, it's a little dicey with a whitetail, in my opinion. They just react um, until they're out there quite a bit of ways of a distance that most people probably wouldn't approve of if you told him you shot him that far so i would suggest uh i mean you can just get away with just a um uh a binocular laser combination uh, i mean a binocular rangefinder combination or you can do like i do i've got a separate one that i run now and last year i ran with the laser combination i say laser uh the binocular rangefinder combination but this year i'm just running um just with my uh, little leupold rx4 uh, rangefinder Antlers and calls, obviously, uh, many of you know me. I, I run the black racks and the extinguisher. The black racks I have are from uh, several years ago. They're still um, what I've been using. I think some of the newer ones, um, I, I don't know if there's been a little change in composition there. They're, they may be a little bit different, but the older ones I have are the ones I'm still using from three or four years ago. I've had a few questions about that, and uh, they seem to work obviously fine. Um, hopefully those ones just never break on me. It's, I guess it's my lucky set. Um, the extinguisher call, obviously, I use. that's the call I'm using right now. And I've been using for quite some time. Um, we'll get into um, communication, antlers, and calls at some point, obviously, as we move through the podcast series. All these podcasts, none of them are going to be this long. This is a crazy long one, um, but I wanted to get through all this gear in the beginning, like I said, so I can point back to this when some of you have gear questions later on throughout the season that are new to the podcast. 
limb management. Um, this is something that uh, if you're on private grounds, depending on the private ground, or excuse me, if you're on public grounds, depending on the public ground, you may or may not be able to uh, trim shooting lanes. And I'm going to say the majority of them you cannot. Um, but uh, if you're on private ground, obviously you can use a little limb saw or something like that. So I'll tell you what, what I use um, on public ground. I use a lot of, if you go into, um, usually in the, I think it's in the hardware section, uh, that you can get at most hardware stores. I know it sounded weird, hardware section, the hardware store, but, um, or the hardware section of, of, uh, like Walmart or something. Usually there's some, uh, brown looking twine that's a natural twine. I use that a lot, um, to pull trees out of the way, especially smaller saplings and things like that. If I have to, if I'm presetting a location, and by preset, I mean, I'm just picking out the tree I want to be at. I'm marking it on my Onyx maps. And then, um, you know, I may or may not put like a little thumbtack if it's if it's with a bunch of other trees that all look the same on there. So whenever I hit it with a headlamp, I can see clearly that that's the tree I want to be in because I don't like dinking around in the mornings. And quite frankly, anymore, um, looking back over the years, very rarely do I have an opportunity to shoot something right at light or right at dark. So um, for the most part, I'm going in there right at breaking light um, and getting in my position. Plus, there's been multiple times where I've been able to uh, kill deer on the way to my stand. So, um, you know, I, d I don't mind getting in there right at light. And then also too, when you're hunting a lot of public ground, gr public ground, you just don't know, you don't know the other people that are in there. And, um, some people get kind of antsy and that's how accidents happen sometimes. So either you go in there plenty before dark, or, um, or, or plenty before light in the mornings. Um, or you, you, you know, you, you I know it hasn't happened in a very long time, and it's really rare, but that's how some accidents can happen, especially when there's gun seasons involved. Um, I'd just rather be rather safe than sorry, honestly. <laughs> and I don't think it's affected my outcome at all, uh, the results I have year in and year out. So most of the time I kill most of my deer in the middle of the day or uh, late mornings, seems like. Um, bow rope, dude, that's just, I mean, obviously. Oh, going back to the limb management. Sorry, if I am on private ground or I can't use a saw, there, Silky um, makes a handsaw, and you'll have to find that online. I think you, there's very few dealers that carry those, um, but usually I think you can buy those off of Amazon. Um, if not, uh, you can go to uh, some website somewhere. Just do some searching. You'll find it. Um, Silky handsaw. Um, is There's different versions of that. I have one um, that's, I don't know, it's probably about, I want to say it's like 17 or 18 inches. I either use that or in a pinch, um, and I shouldn't say in a pinch. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just that silky saw is pretty. Seems like it's uh, considerably more productive with less strokes than what the uh, um, than the Wicked Tree Gear saw is. But you can, that's that's one that you can usually pick up at most farm stores too. Is a Wicked Tree saw. So um, it, one you know I can't find the other folding saw, silky saw that I have. Uh, sometimes I've bought one of those and used those too. So I've got a few of those laying around, and then. Um, the hand pruners that I use are just like, uh, they're just, uh, boy, like you can get those in the garden section. And usually I wind up breaking those, but you can buy them for four or five bucks, sometimes t 10 or 12 bucks. But um, I carry a little set of those because I use those more than anything else when I'm climbing a tree. Those little tiny um, limbs that are sticking out that are annoying and get in your way from, from hanging or your setup, but you can trim those with that. So um, the bow rope is just a, a rope from, I think the one I have I bought from Hawk. It's like a four or $5 rope. Um, that you can kind of wrap around a, a deal. I, I do hate carrying rope without something to wrap it around because inevitably it gets stuck in knots. Um, and then cameras, I just, uh, when it comes to cameras, and it's a completely different subject, but I just run cheap stuff for the most part. I do have a couple of Tacticam cell cameras out there. 
Um, for me personally, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong in my settings. I've had some people send me some settings. I'm going to try now. Um, but man, I just, I'm anxious to go grab those cameras here in another few days uh, or a week and um, see what's on those because all I get is images of nothing. Like it, they take random pictures. It seems like I, I think out of uh, 400 pictures between those two cameras right now, I've seen two deer that have come through on my cell cam. So I'm not knocking them as probably have a setting that's wrong. Um, but for the most part, it just reminds me, that's why I use these super cheap cameras for the most part. I really like Browning cameras a lot. Um, I've compared those to a lot of other cameras, and I'll get into that again in another podcast. But um, those are, are kind of my go-to camera if if, um, uh, if I had a choice. Um, but on some of these public grounds, I'm running really cheap ones. I'm running like Wild Game Innovations and things like that because, quite frankly, um, they get stolen a lot um, and jacked with. So... Uh, I'm almost to the point where I'm about to pull cameras out of my life completely, <laughs> but they are extremely valuable. The time frame that I feel cameras are the most valuable are from the time that um, about mid-October into about the first week of November. After that, to me, uh, I don't want to say they're worthless. They certainly have their value, but um, some things are changing dynamically with the whitetail and the maturity of the whitetail that, quite frankly, are just um, makes them not as effective as what they are during this time period that we're in right now. Um, and you only have a short term um, that you're going to be able to capitalize on um, with some of that camera intelligence that you're gathering here this week. It's nice to know for me how I use my cameras isn't necessarily always to target a specific deer. Sometimes it is if I come across one. But for the most part, I'm looking on a variety of public land spots I've never hunted before so that I can understand the age structure that's present there. Um, if I, if I find a great deer, that's awesome. But for the most part, I'm not specifically looking for a specific deer with that. Now, if I, if I am running cameras on private grounds or ground in which I can control, which I have been here for a couple years, but, um, that's a completely different story. Um, you've got opportunities that, uh, public land people don't have with that or people that hunt lands where other people are actively hunting on, um, if that makes sense. So, um, and then lastly, this last thing I'll cover, um, really, I think all, all the other gear pretty much is pretty personalized gear. Um, you know, I don't want to get into clothing right now. That's probably definitely a different podcast, but lastly, the one thing I would say that's invaluable to me is my Onyx maps. Again, I am not sponsored by Onyx. Um, in fact, I would like to move to base camp again. It's one of those things that I would do in the off season where I transfer all that data from Onyx to base maps. The one thing I've seen about base base camp, sorry. Um, the one thing I see about that software, mapping software, is it is extremely detailed in their maps compared to the areas that I hunt with Onyx maps. Just my personal opinion. I, I have no preference, no dog in the fight. I don't care what you use. But uh, a mapping software like that with your phone is extremely valuable. Here's the things that I mark. My camera locations. I mark uh, areas where when, I'm, when I am scouting, which is not a lot in the late season, um, I, I do go some of the public grounds I'd like to hunt the next year. I'll scout those. I'm looking for other people's tree stands. I mark those on, on my map, um, which obviously that changes somewhat from time to time. Uh, I mark um, areas that historically look like they've had rubs year in and year out. Um, I mark, obviously, tree stand locations that I would like to be in. Um, maybe not even necessarily the same trees, but zones of the property that I would like to hunt. Um, I'm marking what's in specific fields. Now there is a crop layer, but I found it to be hugely inaccurate here in uh, Iowa anyways. And uh, I don't know if that's probably because where they pull that information is probably from NRCS or FSA records. And uh, uh, sometimes that's not up to date because the farmers don't exactly give that information correctly year in and year out from what I've found. 
Um, but those are the types of things I'm marking. I'm marking terrain funnels. I'm marking um, food sources. Like if I find an area that has a lot of acorns in it. This year, there's acorns that seem, seems to be everywhere. Some years, it seems like they're harder to find. Um, those are areas that become important to me later on. And uh, I'm also marking parking areas and entrances into and out of areas that people use. More than likely, most people take the shortest, easiest route to their stands from their trucks. Those are important because if, if I have somebody that's hunting a place regularly and I see them regularly or their truck regularly and I happen to know where they're hunting at, um, I can lay out basically like a heat map of human travel, which will help me find those areas in which um, aren't being touched. And even if there's no sign in there, a lot of times those areas are the ones I find the best success at because those deer are used to moving around those people during hunting season. So much I think of what we see in the trail systems that we see are left over from the summer times um, in late winter, whenever things are really muddy, obviously, or, or those things are being pounded quite a bit because deer are going in and out of food sources late into the season. Um, you know, that's not necessarily what deer are using throughout the rest of the year. So, um, again, I'm not a big trail hunter just because historically it's been rare for me to kill a buck that's actually standing on a trail. <laughs> Most of the time they're not on a trail or they're on a slight faint trail that parallels one of those other trails or crosses those. Again, we'll get into all those whenever uh, the timing becomes appropriate. Um, every one of these podcasts are not going to be this long. This has been, holy cow, 37 minutes. Tons of information packed into here. Um, again, I appreciate all of you that are listening. I appreciate all of you that share this up on your platforms. Um, looking forward to doing this day after day with you as much as possible. Again, can't promise every day, but I will try to kick these out either the night before um, or the morning of, of your hunts um, to try to um, hopefully – give you a little bit of inspiration on, on maybe what to do if you're, if you're at a little bit of a loss from time to time because we all go through that throughout the season. And uh, good luck to everybody. Stay safe. Make sure you wear your harnesses. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. See ya.